I was like, I just, I was scrolling through. Wait, I got to find it now because I'm like, <laughs> why is he a reliable source? Um, oh, here it is. All right. Now, I trust Screen Rant with their articles. They're usually pretty good checking sources and, and confirming things. They must have interviewed Dave Batista for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So they've got a bunch of stuff of like, Dave Batista thinks this, Dave Batista thinks this. One of the headlines, Dave Batista thinks Marvel may get full Spider-Man movie rights back. What what kind of authority does he have to come up with that conclusion? I would not even waste my time clicking through to that. <laughs> That's what I mean. That 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 just screams like we've got nothing. Read yeah. this. I mean, the other stuff that they've posted today, I feel like other, at least other stuff regarding Guardians of the Galaxy and Marvel and stuff, I would click on anything else. Yeah. But for that to be but the headline, per, like... Per, if, person in no position of influence, decision-making, yeah. or authority has a thought on something. It's not even an insight. It's not even like, yeah, hey, based on something I've heard or been involved with, whatever, <laughs> it appears that there's a good chance that this could occur. No! It's like, yes, someone who's an actor in that series, in that industry, I get it. They're light years ahead of me in terms of the degrees to which he's close to it. However, he's still a million light years away. So, like, yeah, what the, like, what, that's that's ridiculous. I feel like Batista probably showed up on set for Infinity War and saw Spider-Man and was like, oh, Marvel got the rights back. It's totally theirs now. Yeah. Went and told somebody that, so now they're like, yep, he thinks it's going to happen. Dave Bautista predicted the future. Everybody rub his magic head and see if he can give you a fortune. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bry Guy and His Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Labick. Joining me for this episode is Josh Zorch. I'm here. It's the one and only this week. That's it. Just two guys. This is it. The dream team. It's intimate. It's like an evening with. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the original, the OG team. Since we did the... This is true. The, the pilot episode way back when. God, it's almost been like two years, if not more than two years. That's fucking crazy. Uh, I think a little, yeah, I think a little over. I think we first record. I want to say it was like February or March, uh, of of fifteen, because it was before. I speci- my benchmark for that is I know it was before the release of Avengers Ultron. Yes, it was before Avengers two. I know that. Yeah, because I think we were still doing t- trailer breakdowns and stuff. Yeah, I think that was early on. on the first episode. Was like the last or recent trailer for that. I think was one of the topics. So yeah, I want to say it was like February or March. It's a blast from a past now. What, what? <laughs> uh, all right, so as I've been doing the last few weeks, I just want to remind everyone we are, again, nearing 100. I think this is, crap, I can't remember my count, 93? Hopefully that's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're nearing the 100th. Uh, my idea is to hopefully get some fan interaction for that episode. So, so if you guys have any topic suggestions or questions you have for us, uh, you can submit them to us. You can either... Uh, send them through the Facebook page that we have. Search for Bry Guy and his super friends on Facebook. Or you can go to the page, www.facebook.com slash Bry Guy Super Friends. Leave us a comment there. 
or even like direct message. That'll work too. Either one of those will get. Uh, if that doesn't work for you, you can email us at bryguysuperfriends at gmail.com or you can tweet us at bgsuperfriends on Twitter. All of those work. Any of them, you can do all of them if you want. Send us a, a different question to each medium. That would be fantastic. Uh, and then if we get a, enough stuff or some feedback, we'll try to fit them in for the 100th and give you some credit, shout out, and see how it goes. If you don't, then fuck it. We're going with what we want to do, and you just got to deal with it when we get there. Coming along for our ride. That's right. Just like we did for the 50th, which was a shit show in itself. So I expect nothing different for the 100th. Well, now we have a we have a bar that we have to exceed. A shit show bar. Yes. It is, it is Yes, it has been set. Well, I mean, I fully expect Ian to be there for the 100th, so we Better already know be. it's going to hit high shit show levels. With, It'll with be great. I'm, I'm, I'm actively and enthusiastically looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how bad it gets. <laughs> uh, so this one, we're sort of recording a little bit last minute. Normally record earlier in the week, or we are recording Saturday night, and today is actually free comic book day. So I hope everyone had a chance to get out there, visit your local comic book shop, and get some comics. Uh, I did... Josh, I know you worked, but did you get a yeah. chance to get out at all, or no? Uh, I did not. Uh, last year, I know we went out, and uh, I mean it's important not only you know Free Comic Book Day as a uh, a big promotional tool that the industry has tried to use for the last several years. Um, so if you can, you know, score some of the stuff that they're giving away, that's great. But you know, just like any industry, it's also wonderful to actually pay for something. <laughs> so if you guys did that as well, guys and gals, uh, I hope I hope everyone did that too. Um, uh, no, I didn't get to get out today, uh, but I remember last year I – what did I get? I, I, I want to say I bought I – I bought a hardcover of some graphic novel that I think I wanted Sarah to read. It might have been The Killing Joke. And she had never read it because she was – because the animated movie was about to come out. And I think she bought it, and then we like donated it to the library or something. But yeah, I um, think I do remember. Yeah, I think you did. I do remember that because yeah, you were looking at a bunch of Batman stuff, trying to figure out what to get. Yeah, and I think that's what we we settled on something. Um, but yeah, I don't even think we have it anymore. Uh, but yeah, I didn't get a chance to get out this year. Um, hopefully I will uh be able to you know repay them in kind soon. Uh, what what did today yield for you? Uh, well, I gotta, I, it's been actually a while since I was at the comic book stop. I'm probably like two or three months behind some of the stories I was trying to read. Yeah. So I'm behind in my Star Wars. I'm behind in my, my Marvel stuff. Um. No, what, what, what kind of Marvel lines were you reading at the moment? Uh, I was doing the, the, it's just Spider-Man, which is the Miles Morales Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, I'm a few issues behind that one. And then I was reading the Steve Rogers Captain America, which is the one where, like the first issue, you find out he's uh, like ben a sleeper, a yeah, Hydra, Hydra sleeper agent. Yeah. So they're kicking off some event, I think this month, because I think yeah, because I picked up the first issue of it today, um, called Secret Empire, which is like when Steve Rogers finally reveals himself as being the supreme leader of Hydra, and then it's sort of the fallout of all the stuff that happens with that. Right. So now, I'm I gotta you, catch up on his like his single issues as, aside from the event, but yeah, that's what I was trying to pick up. Now I have not uh, actually read those books, but I I have been hearing multiple. I sound like freaking Trump. I've been hearing <laughs> that people have been talking about it. Um, <laughs> it wasn't no, a bad impression. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's a terrible impression. <laughs> um, 
on uh like other podcasts that uh talk about this stuff uh they brought that up and since i'm not reading the books i don't know if they like if this is part of the setup of the story or if this is something you learn throughout the issues and so i don't want to spoil anything for you if you haven't gotten that far but um at 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 the point that you've read in the line have they already explained sort of how or why steve rogers ended up this way yeah i think it's like the I can't remember if it's the first or second issue. It's very early in the Steve Rogers Captain America run uh-huh. that they explain to you why his backstory changed. Okay. So hey. it has to do with the Red Skull and some oh, okay. cosmic so you, powers. Right. Okay. So you, okay. So you do know that, and and so here was my question when I when I when I when I heard this revealed a couple of days ago. I didn't then understand what everyone was so up in arms about. Again, I don't think it's like you know we were sort of just. BSing before the show about like yeah. clickbait headlines. I think it's the same thing. The twist of the story is that, you know, America's greatest soldier is working for the enemy, and that's what everybody took away from it, not how or why it happened. And this is not going to be the status quo. He's fucking Captain America. Give it another right. year, he will be fucking Captain America again. Right. And number, I guess, number one, I don't know. Maybe I have. Since I'm not invested in it in this way, maybe I would feel differently, but I, I guess maybe this would be the equivalent of, like, J.K. Rowling putting out her next volume of something saying that, oh, no, no, all along, you know what, basically, you know, Harry decides to go to the dark side <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. At, at some point, and he becomes the resurgence later of, like, the, the like a new generation of Death Eaters when he's 40 years old. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe that'd be the parallel, but given that apparently, you know, right at the beginning of the series, like you said, like first or second issue, they they basically say that there's a change of, like, temporal displacement, effectively. Like, people yeah. F with time and space to make this thing occur. It's not like the writers just decided to screw with everyone's head. And say, uh, oh, no, guess what? Here's a big twist. Turns out he was a baddie all along. Right. Like, so that, calm the frick down, everybody. And even just if you're familiar with the way comic books work, they do something for a couple years. They try it out just to make it a big event to make people buy issues. And then a couple years down the road, they change it back to the status quo because they can't get rid of or change the template that people like and will pay for. So eventually this is going to all get fixed. It's just a matter of when and what they do to fix it in the story. Yeah. So it'll get there. One issue, I figure you might appreciate this. I'll have to see if you can see it. Uh-huh. Um, I do like IDW's Ghostbusters line. Okay. I think it's really fucking well written. And if you're a fan of the movies and stuff like that, they I think they nail the characters in these books. I've been picking up the trade paperbacks just because it's easier to pick up collected issues in the trade paperbacks and read them like that. Um, so I'm a little bit behind on the newest issues, but the, what I think what they just started doing was Ghostbusters 101, and what they're I, I haven't read it, so I don't know what, how they explain it. Mm-hmm. But in the past, they've done like shared universe stories with Ghostbusters and, and Ninja Turtles. Another one they did in a couple couple years ago, I think, was the movie version of the Ghostbusters meets the real Ghostbusters cartoon versions in a cross story, which was pretty freaking cool. Okay. Um. Now what they're doing is doing the original Ghostbusters cast with the all-female Ghostbusters cast. Okay. So I saw this cover and had to get it. It is Egon oh, and Holtzman. 
just like Doc Brown and Marty. Oh, that is cool. So I'll probably still get the trade paperback when it comes out, but the cover was enough for me that I was like, that's fucking cool. It's like Back to the Future, but with Ghostbusters, I'm fucking getting that. <laughs> and if not, I mean, even, you know, especially, I mean, yes, we like assign a lot of different things to fictional characters in, in this world of ours, but, you know, that seeing that it's like, you know, Harold Ramis handing off the you know, reigns to Kate McKinnon for that yeah, sort of yeah. e- Egon parallel character. Um, that's, you know, she's sort of, you know, kind of the, the under, not the underdog, but the, uh, the understudy, the apprentice of it sort of, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, even just watching the Ghostbusters movie from what, two years ago now, I guess, uh, the female characters very, they, like they tried to do something different, but I think at their core, they all felt like pieces or, or some sort of template of the original cast. Right. So to see them put a story together where the original Ghostbusters meet the female Ghostbusters, I want to see them play off each other like I know they should. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm anxious to see how that that book turns out and and how that's really how it's written and how they how they play off each other. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, that's cool. Did did you just say that the Ghostbusters movie was two years ago? It was 2015, wasn't it? No, it was last August. Twenty okay, it's twenty sixteen. See, I'm it's, I'm losing it already. I'm saying like it's, it's not even a year. So it, it is the uh, impression that it left on you that. Stark... Yeah, I mean it's pretty it's pretty forgettable. I feel like for me. Yeah, I say that, and yet I still own the fucking movie. So yeah. Oh, did you end up buying it? Yeah, more or less just to like show people like here. This people have said they want to see it. I know they didn't yeah. go to the theater to see it. So it's like, look, I have it. I will show it to you and. <laughs> Basically, like, I want to be there when people watch it to see what their impressions are when they come out of it. <laughs> okay. So call it a social social experiment every time I play the movie. Yeah, I got you. It works. Oh, uh, cool. Glad, uh, anything else did you pick up, or was that... Uh... I think that was it. I picked up, like, four or five issues of the, of the Captain America comic, the first couple. I think there was, like, issue zero and issue one for that Secret Empire uh, event. Okay. Um, like obviously that one Ghostbusters one I just talked about. And then the free books, uh, I think I picked up like one or two variant that I saw just cause I, I like action figures and what they started doing for a lot of Marvel comics is do action figure variant covers where it looks like an action figure in the plastic case, but it's a cover of a comic book. So if I find things that I hmm. think look like a cool action figure, I pick it up. Oh, that's kind of different. Okay. So for the, the secret empire one, they had like Captain America action figure, but he had his Captain America uniform in the Hydra colors. So I was like, that looks cool. All right. And then I guess they started doing a Scarlet Spider line for Marvel, which I always liked Scarlet Spider in the 90s. I thought that was a cool uniform and Spider-Man design. So they had an action figure cover of him. I was like, yep, I'll get that too because he looks fucking cool. So (laughs) I spent more than I wanted to. I wanted to just get a couple back issue stuff and ended up buying new stuff. So. (laughs) <laughs> but that's usually what happens. That's why I have to pick and choose when I go to the comic book store because I spend more than I want to. But anyway, for uh, so for this episode, uh, we're going to try to go through some new stories that I don't think we've touched on because since it's, we we took a couple weeks off between the breaks and uh, I don't think we've done new stuff probably for maybe a month, it feels like. So I think there's probably a lot of stuff I was putting on the Facebook page that we haven't talked about or got to. So yeah. we're going to try to play a little catch up here. I feel like this is uh the way you described it sounds like it's the uh Bright Guy and the Super Friends equivalent of the back in black uh segment on the Daily Show. 
when they're like, you know, news stories that may have fallen through the cracks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Making sure to catch up. Yep. Uh, So I have one, two, three, four, five things to go through. I didn't tell Josh what we were doing beforehand. He said he'd rather go into a cold turkey, so I'm just going to roll through them, and we'll we'll see how they go. Everyone's a surprise. (laughs) If there's anything we think we we missed, or if anything that we still want to talk about at the end, we'll see what we want to clean up with and call it a day. Uh, So first up, probably one of the bigger stories I think that came out that I posted about that we haven't talked about yet is that Marvel has found its directors for the upcoming Captain Marvel movie. Uh, If you haven't heard the names, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck will be directing Brie Larson in a movie written by Megan, or not, sorry, not Meg, just Meg, Meg LaFouve. I don't know how to spell her, say her last name. Uh, and Nicole per- Perlman. Perlman wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, with James Gunn, so she's got some Marvel writing credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will be writing the movie. Uh, the directing duo apparently wrote and directed Mississippi Grind that starred Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn, which I don't know of. Which, well, let me pause there because, number one, uh, the other writer that you mentioned first, Meg LeFou, mm-hmm. um, I-, I remember a news story last summer, maybe, that did come out when they you know, announce the writers for the, for the movie. So we actually did sort of touch on them before on a, on a previous episode. Um, but, uh, to remind people where they came from, um, this other writer, Meg, she is one of the principal writers on inside out. Uh, okay. I do remember that now that you mention it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Pixar. Um, and she also did, let's see the good dinosaur, another Pixar, um, and then so right she's on got to some Captain Disney Marvel. cred, then yeah, Disney, yeah, and I, I mean, I think we all agreed, and I think I definitely still do. I mean, in, Inside Out was one of the most original, insightful, creative, uh, you know, stories that uh, not just the story itself, but the actual writing was just freaking unbelievable. That's one of those movies you can watch. I feel like kids will watch and be like, "Oh, pretty colors." It's kind of funny, and then adults watch it and they're bawling their eyes out by the time you get to the end of the movie, and kids don't understand why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as Mississippi Grind, um, uh, when the story went up on the Facebook page and um, that that came up in the conversation in the comments and uh, other another show contributor, Matt Close, said that he had seen that movie uh, with Ryan Reynolds and, and Ben Mendelsohn. And I then picked it up at the uh library following that and uh it it was pretty good uh, i had only really known ben mendelson uh in in his role in rogue one so this was uh very, like a very different side of him to see as an actor um it was it was different i mean it was it was okay uh as a movie it was it was pretty compelling um did you see and now i say this here also they they did a movie called it's kind of a funny story it was another one I was going to mention on their credentials. Yeah, in 2010, I, I remember, uh, I remember the movie, but I never got around to seeing it. Did you? I mean, the title sounds familiar, but no, I never, I never did sit down and watch that one. I feel like it had kind of a um, ensemble cast. A little bit. I'm glancing at it. Uh, that Lauren Graham, Jim Gaffigan, Zach Galifianakis, uh, Asif Mondi, Zoe Kravitz. Or in a Viola Davis, um, and I I think it, from what I remember, of like from the tone, like I think Zach Galifianakis is one of the main characters. Uh, Emma okay. Rob- Emma Roberts is in it too, and and I think it's one of those things where it's kind of like a serious movie, but 
is kind of a comedy at the same time. Okay. You know? Sounds like Marvel's pedigree. Kind of, yeah. I mean, the core of it, it's 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 somewhat... Like, like if anyone has seen the movie Gifted yet, uh, that's out right now with, with uh, Chris Evans, it's kind of like that, where it's a, it's a drama at heart, but it is written in a way that expresses how people really are, and even in moments and periods of drama in our life, funny things still happen, and funny things are said, and I feel it probably has that kind of mood to it, um, but that looks like it's uh, one of their first, like, feature... Uh, directing credits for this duo. Yeah, I think the press release mentioned uh, the Mississippi Grind movie. It mentioned it's kind of a funny story. It mentioned Sugar. Okay, not familiar. Which I don't with that know one. who's in. Yeah, I don't know who's in that or what that's about. And that they worked on a movie called Half Nelson with Ryan Gosling. Oh, did they? I don't know if they just directed that one. If they wrote it, all uh, I'm I think looking all at crap up was... right now. Uh, written written by at okay. least Anna. Let me see if. Uh, yeah, they share. Oh, okay. So they share writing credits on that, and then Ryan solo directed it. Got it. Okay. Uh, that was really good. He got a uh, an Oscar nomination for that. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, did he? I don't know if I know that what it, that movie is. Yeah, it's it's more of a intense, somewhat intense drama. He he's like a high school or middle school teacher who also has like. Uh, like 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 a drug habit, and he's in support groups. Uh, but then there's like one student in particular of his that sort of acts as the 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 other like lead to the story, if you will. It's okay. It, it, it it's definitely like a straight drama. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, I guess with all those credits in mind, how do you get, how do you think about these this directing duo for Captain Marvel? Right, I mean, so that's interesting because, I mean, running down the types of movies we just talked about, I wouldn't make the leap from those in my mind to something like Captain Marvel that's fantastical and, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but like comic booky, which is becoming its own adjective, you know? Yeah. Um, well, the, you know, the, more to the point, I don't think I would have pegged the Russo brothers to be able to handle a Marvel movie either. True. Very true. Very true. Um... I mean, so far, I would say that there's the Russos at least like they stepped in. Well, I would say if the Russos were stepping into the general Marvel world where you do have that mix of uh, action adventure with comedy, um, which still has, you know, a lot of serious tone to it on paper, I could see that, though, the first, you know, their first outing being the Winter Soldier. Like, no, I would not have thought they could have also come up with, like, political thriller. Yeah, because, I mean, that movie has some jokes, which is sort of their strength coming from, you know, working on TV comedy. Yeah. But to be able to nail that spy thriller genre aspect of the film, like, holy shit, they they fucking nailed that one. Oh, big time. Oh, yes, they did. Um, So, yeah, that's a very good point. You know, maybe they're uh, the the qualities that Marvel is screening and Disney are screening for this stuff. You know, there, there's some other insight that professionals are seeing that, you know, the layman is not, of course, yeah. which is, which is why we're on a podcast talking about this instead of making the freaking thing ourselves. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, my audition they... tape must've got lost in the mail. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, I don't think your audition tape. I did. I think that your, uh, acceptance letter, 
Oh, that's what good to call. you because yeah. that that's how they would notify you. They would send something back in snail mail on paper. Yeah, they wouldn't call or email or direct message me on Twitter or Facebook or anything. It would just be the, the longest route possible to let you know you have the, the job. It would just be a one one a one page thing. It almost would read like a Hogwarts letter, like telling you, like, all right, uh, Mister Labick, uh, we need you to report to Disney Studios at this place at this time. <laughs> uh, we expect to see you, okay, you know, two Mondays from now to get things started. <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, that's how I suspect the the industry works, which is why I'm really successful in it. <laughs> But, you and me uh, both, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think this this could be definitely interesting. I mean, th- I think they've shown that they can write and direct a range of characters. And this is going to be Marvel's... I mean, it's really sad to say because it'll be 11 years after Iron Man. They are finally putting out their first female-centric heroine chapter yeah you know solo chapter um and you know maybe this is a a good team to be able to tackle that yeah I'm ho- i mean i trust the writers which uh like anymore it's it's good i think for a lot of the marvel movies where they're choosing writers and directors like even this the pair that they have are writers and directors but they yeah. already have a writing team in place so i don't know how much they'll actually it might just help having four people sort of brainstorm and how to change or edit the script if they need to maybe on the fly if if they're on set which has got to be helpful um yeah and they might be good at adapting other people's material right. and, and and like you said trans translating something that someone else has created you don't I, you know you don't always have to be the author to be able to take someone's framework and you know it, I, i'm sure when you read a screenplay just cold without ever seeing a storyboard without anyone ever telling you anything else and you're just handed a screenplay what you're going to see in your head is far different than every other person in the room that you could be doing the same thing with and and you know maybe they're uh you know maybe it was shown through you know their screening process that they gelled very well with the rest of the creative team that could be yeah yeah, because you don't you want people that want are able to work together, especially being in, you know, part of the Marvel machine. As much as they want to talk about, we give everybody creative freedom. We we don't know, being on the outside looking in, how overbearing Marvel Studios is to the creative vision and the overarching storyline of all these movies. Which you know, earlier on there were people, especially with the Thor movies. I feel like the Thor movies have lost directors before, just over yes. creative differences and things like that. So. There's obviously something in that studio system that as Marvel as much as Marvel wants to tell everyone they're not like the traditional studio system, they are still a studio system that still has, you know, things that they want to get across that may be against creative visions of some of the people they hire to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm at the point where I trust anything Marvel does, and if they're hiring these people saying they're gonna be the best fit for Captain Marvel, I am on board. Yeah, and at least I I I still feel that one of the weakest and I know I'm in the minority not to rehash it but um it won me over a little bit more the second time I watched it but Ant-Man is not one of my favorites uh-huh. and you know that's been hashed to death in terms of how the evolution of that movie came to be with Edgar Wright and everything yeah. else and blah 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 um so yeah I think you're right sometimes it can constrain certain things when 
doesn't fit enough into their box. Not saying their box is small, but when it doesn't fit in their box, they, you know, seem, seem to maybe not, you know, li- like to keep playing. Yeah, I was always you know, curious. With that person, but, um, you know, there, there's a lot that they could definitely surprise us. I think, I think they have a big chance to invent themselves with Captain Marvel because apparently, here, I think we did talk about this, that she is, Brie Larson, is listed on IMDb at least in the credits for Infinity War, which would be before, well, she, it, the first Infinity War would occur, would be released before her solo movie. Yes. If she actually appears, it is not, uh, obviously known yet whether it would be as Captain Marvel or simply as Carol Danvers. Yes. And so we don't know what her solo movie will be. Will it be another origin story? Will it, you know, we don't, we don't know yet. Um, so looking forward, like, I mean, they have two whole years to flesh out what this is going to be. And in effect, I mean, it depends. Are, like, are, if we're counting the end of phase three as the second, uh, Infinity War half, if we will, even though it might not be called Infinity War Part 2, whatever it so ends like up Avengers being. like Avengers 4, whatever yeah. it's going to be. Yeah, Like, Captain Marvel comes out two months before that. So is she effectively the tail end of Phase 3 still? Is she part of the beginning of Phase 4? We don't know. But they, you know, they have a real big chance to set a good impression uh, and set a tone for what you know, maybe phase four is going to feel like a lot of the big events that will be occurring because if they're setting her up two months before Avengers four, they're not just going to, I imagine they're not just going to give us a solo movie and then she's involved in Avengers four. And that's all that we, you know, ever hear from her. Like, you know, they, they set these characters up for multiple chapters. So there, there's a lot of foundation that they have to lay. So are you expecting, the Captain Marvel movie to bridge the gap between Avengers three and four. Um, I, I think it would be for continuity. I, I, I think it's probable that you're going to get just Carol Danvers in infinity war. If she's in it at all. And that either some event in that movie might uh, lead into some of the foundation plots of her own movie, but I think okay. it, I think it would be silly to think that it's not going to have anything to do with Avengers Four. Yeah, yeah, I could see her movie leading into Avengers Four. I'm still seeing more of them going through the origin story type of thing with the Captain Marvel movie. True, and that's why I'm saying yeah that you'll still, if anything, you'll get just Carol Danvers. In Infinity War, something that occurs to her may play into what her origin story plot is written up as in her solo movie. But I don't know. I, I'm I still can't help this feeling that Avengers Four, even though they're not calling it like Infinity War Part One and Two anymore, putting these movies out a year apart with only like what what is in between the two? There's Ant Man and the Wasp. Yes. Um, what is in the fall of 2018? I know there's something, but I can't think of 
vet right now. I'd have to look. Cause it's, it's Are we not, sure that Captain Marvel was, what, March? It's March. So right now, the only things off the top of my head that I know are in between, Ant-Man and the Wasp is July 2018, and then Captain Marvel is March. There might not be a fall movie. There might not be a November one. Because it's not Black Panther. That'll be out. It's not Thor. Yeah. There might not be one. I did a real quick just search, and they're saying... I'm not even seeing specific months and dates on the wiki page that I quickly found, but Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, Avengers 4. So that might be it, just those two. So if you give that, like, I can't can't see uh, so much happening between Ant-Man and the Wasp and, like, whatever Ant-Man and the Wasp is and what Captain Marvel is that this Avengers 4 has to still somehow be a continuation in a lot of ways of whatever happens in what they're calling Infinity War in 2018. It it, it has to be. There's not enough to have, like, a completely separate plot going on. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Captain Marvel... All right, assuming IMDb is correct and and Brie Larson shows up in Infinity War... Okay. Let's say she shows up at the very tail end of the movie as Captain Marvel. So you get Captain Marvel movie before Avengers 4, and at that point, maybe you see that same scene right at the beginning of her movie, like the same scene that they show in, in Avengers 3, right. starts her movie, and then you get the whole, like, three years later, or three years before, and they okay. flash back okay. until the origin to build up to that exact scene, and then it leads into Avengers 4. Okay, I get you. So so we might get whatever your exposure to her in Infinity War is you might get Captain Marvel. Right. But her solo is actually... So the movie would set up her origin and probably explain why she isn't at the battle right at the beginning and why she shows up at the end of the movie for Infinity War. So then there she's there full-blown for part four, whatever Avengers 4 ends up being. I could see that. In my mind, that's how it works. But... Again, we'll see. Because the placement of, of Captain Marvel, you're right, is weird considering it's in between Avengers 3 and 4. What they should have done is just done Avengers 3 and 4 a year apart and called it a day. But Marvel's got their three movies a year schedule now. Yeah. So they obviously have to put something in between. Right. And that's the thing. I, don't... I, I, I wonder what... Because Ant-Man is... If I remember, Ant- Ant-Man is billed in Infinity War, but Evangeline Lilly is not. Okay. So Paul Rudd is is in Infinity War. Angeline, uh, Evangeline Lilly is not, but she is billed in Avengers 4. So some to some degree, whatever happens in Ant-Man and the Wasp has to tie to Avengers 4. There's got to be a reason that she's now involved in, in the proceedings, where See she that? wasn't before... But I, I, I hope that the way that Ant-Man and the Wasp fits in, like, like to me, Ant-Man itself is the one movie that doesn't feel like it fits anywhere. Yeah. It, and it, I mean, to a degree, depending on what they do with Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel might not really fit either. Cause the problem right. they're going to have is that Infinity War is going to ramp up the action and the pacing and the stakes so much. Yes. And you're going to hit Ant-Man two months later and then it's going to slow down to this really intimate story that has no bearing on what else is going on. That you're going to feel like it doesn't belong there. And again, depending on what they do with Captain Marvel, you could get the same sort of 
scenario where it just feels lackluster after coming off of Infinity War and knowing that Avengers 4 is right around the corner. Like, those... Ant-Man and the Wasp... Well, definitely Captain Marvel, I think, has a lot of pressure on it to deliver, just being that it's sandwiched in between two Avengers movie. Maybe there's less pressure on Ant-Man because I don't think people expect the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie to carry that kind of weight. Like, maybe they're just... I, I feel like people would go into that expecting a comedy, like we get from the first one. Right. So maybe this, you're not expecting the stakes and stuff to be that high, but I don't know. And again, we probably won't know anything until we we see Infinity War. And even still, like if Ant-Man and the Wasp is, is coming out two months after Infinity War, yeah, we're going to get promotional stuff for that movie before Infinity War. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised. The, I mean, what, if that's July, we might even have a teaser on Thor. Maybe yeah, not, maybe I mean, not a full-blown they, trailer, but a teaser. Well, no, you know what? You'll get I think you'll get the teaser for Infinity War with Thor. You think that? And then maybe far, 2 or well, 3 months later. Well, see this is the co- thing cuz those Comic-Con, movies are so Spider-Man and Comic-Con both hit in July. That would be like that's historically really when they've done a lot of their Avengers uh teaser reveals and stuff. Yeah, but they're not going to keep every marketing trailer for Ant-Man until the month before. Not the month before, but if you didn't, like, I think you're, they're not going to wait till November to show your first stuff for Avengers in May. They're not no, going to wait. About, okay, you're talking about months. this Comic-Con. I'm talking about, I'm thinking about next year's Comic-Con. I oh, no, no, okay. no, no, no. So I'm thinking Comic-Con this year, you could get Aven- you could get Infinity War, and then they could wait because they don't want to muddy the waters and have so much going at the same time. They could wait until Thor in November to give you an Ant-Man tease. And then, like I said, they, okay. don't, they don't want to flood the airwaves. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're not seeing trailers for Ant-Man in theaters. Even though they might be online in the fall and the spring, you're not going to get trailers for Ant-Man until maybe Black Panther in March. But maybe not even until Infinity War, because they don't want to have Black Panther, Infinity War, and Ant-Man all out at the same time, confusing the hell out of people. Well, that's why I'm thinking they would promote Ant-Man early. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think the opposite, maybe what I was originally thinking. But they, but they would report, they would promote Ant-Man, sort of like you're saying, around the time of Thor in November. Maybe just a tease or something. But from January to May, it is all Infinity War. Uh... Pretty much, while they are also trying to make sure that they're pushing Black Panther enough, because that's March. Oh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they they, they kind of sandwich themselves. And you know what? That's I, It just occurred to me, that is exactly why they don't have a November movie, because they have four movies coming out in three months. Yeah. Or three, four months. from They have March, May, and July. One every other month. Like, you know, rapid fire right in a row. Yeah, so that promotion's going to get sloppy because they're going to be over overlapping their own films. Yeah, so they're going to need to be really careful with that. Yeah, that, that's right, what I'm that's thinking. Ant Man's not going to be till a little later till they make sure that they get a lot of Black Panther out of the way so that they don't have too much out at one time. All right. Well, this I think will segue well into the next topic I have. Speaking of overlapping their own films and properties. This spins into Disney st- other stuff that Disney owns. Uh, there was a couple other release dates that Disney announced uh, last week, I think. Okay. Uh, Star Wars Episode Nine. 
directed by Colin Trevorrow, will be released May 24th, 2019. Mm-hmm. Disney is moving forward also on Indiana Jones 5, with apparently Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg attached. That is set for July 10th, 2020. Now, sort of what we were talking about with the release dates and stuff, traditionally, May has been the release for Star Wars movies. Yep. Force Awakens, when it was originally announced, was originally supposed to come out in May. Yep. It was delayed to December. Disney realized there's no competition out there and they can make a shit ton of money, so they released it in December. Rogue One followed suit. Last Jedi is supposed to come out this December. But that's changing with the Han Solo movie. So that movie is set to release May 25th, 2018. That is three weeks after Avengers Infinity War. And oddly enough, looking at the Avengers Infinity War release date, they are releasing on May 4th, Star (laughs) Wars Day. Now, I get that Uh, the Han Solo film picked May 25th. I think May 25th is the date of the original Star Wars in 1977. So that date holds significance, too. It does, but, but it, now that would be the 41st anniversary. Right. Like, yeah, so it doesn't ring as true odd. as the 40th, like, this year and stuff like that. But, right. So I, May the 4th, like, if they swapped release dates, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I, I no, I could be wrong, but, so you, I think I was misremembering. Um, so you're saying the original release date for episode 7 was supposed to be May, and they moved it to December. Yes. Did they do the same thing for Rogue One? Because I, for some reason, remember at, at, whatever, I mean, they at, had... at, at whatever point it was established that Episode 7 would be December, I thought, and I could be wrong, I thought I remember hearing that Rogue One would then be May of 2016, but then after they saw like such strong sales for Force Awakens, they're like, nope, we're going to move Rogue One to Christmas because that seems to be the perfect time of year for these. Yeah, I, I could be completely wrong about that. Tell you the truth, I don't remember if it, if it, they announced some sort of original release date for Rogue One prior to that. Okay, and then event and moved it later. I mean, obviously, they I know Rogue One had reshoots, so I don't know if the reshoots delayed if they mm, were okay. a little bit slower getting it into production that delayed it. Like Force Awakens, they were having script rewrite issues, and then they had the infamous injury to Harrison Ford on set. <laughs> yeah, that's true, which delayed them for a couple months. So. At that point, everything kept stacking against them to hit that May release, so they took another six months or whatever to finish. And, of course, once it hit December, you're hitting Christmas time, <clears throat> where they can promote all kinds of Star Wars merchandise for Christmas time. So not only yeah. is the movie making a shit ton of money, but Disney is making a shit ton of money off off of the merchandise just for the holiday season. Yeah. Now, so that's a big thing for them, too. Now, maybe... That's a good point. Now, maybe a Han Solo... If, if if the basis of the story is Han Solo origin movie or young Han Solo, maybe that doesn't seem like it's as much of a, um, you know, there's not as much synergy with marketing of merchandise, especially for little kids, as much as these episodes are and as much as Rogue One are. Because Rogue One was exciting as well because you still had a young female in the lead. So, right. so there was a but lot I would that you argue... could have there. I would argue that Rogue One is more of a risk than a young Han Solo movie. Oh, right. But I'm talking in, ter- in, in terms of how well it could connect to merchandising and the timing of the year. Maybe they don't – if they're going to stick with a May release for this Han Solo movie, maybe they're okay with it because they – you know, for, for Star Wars fans, you guys are going to buy crap no matter what time of year it is. Correct. It's not going to affect you as much just because it's Christmas. That's for parents buying crap for kids. Yes. 
So Rogue One and Episode 7 worked perfectly for that purpose. If they don't see as much of a bump for whatever they could create out of a Han Solo origin movie for that purpose, it might not matter to them whether they put it out at Christmas or not. Now, what I will say, Disney owns half of the freaking franchises in the world now. Yeah. And we talked about this with that schedule they put out. Like, it's so intense with everything they have. They have their own Disney stuff. You have yeah. you have Disney movies. You have Disney animated movies. You have Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. You have Star Wars Universe movies. The one month of the year that they have never claimed for any of that stuff historically, cartoons, animated, nothing, they have never claimed December as a Disney month. There's never really historically been like a big marquee Disney movie released in December, except so far these Star Wars revitalizations. Yeah. So why muddy the waters when you have May has proven to be a great release time for uh, Guardians now. The first Guardians was August of 2014. This is now May. You've released two Captain America movies and two Avengers movies in May. You now have the next two years, two more Avengers movies planned for May. You have some Marvel movies planned for pretty much November almost every year. Granted, except this one that we talked about. But isn't that even more of a reason to keep your Star Wars properties in the later part of the year? Why compete against yourself when there is such an overarching cross-market between these things? And it doesn't seem like DC or other, you know, geekdom, uh, fandom things that, that are in the, the, the movie world. Nobody's vying for your business in December. Yeah. There's no competition there. And that's what I don't know if they're going to uh, – like I, I'd be really curious to see if they release Han Solo three weeks after Avengers Infinity War and then they don't get as big as uh, diminishing returns like as, as they, they have for – you know, in December you release something, there's no competition. Even through January, there's probably no competition. Up through even through – you know, February's light a month too for movie releases and stuff like that. So you could effectively keep a Star Wars movie in theaters for two months. Yes. In the summertime, I don't know if it's going to have that longevity with all other superhero movies and everything else that's coming out during the summer blockbuster season that it's going to have those legs. It might make money, and I'm sure it will still play. You're going to see limited screen time, though, because of all the other stuff that's coming out over the course of the summer. Right. So if Han Solo starts to struggle that way, could they push Episode Nine to December? I, I think they should. I think they're just so... I think eventually they're they're either going to learn a lesson and realize we could have made a lot more had we put this movie in December or after like one or two more it, like with the Han Solo movie they're just going to say eventually in a couple months you're going to hear yeah you know what instead of May we're going to move that to December and after you do that so many times just stop and and just say look we're going to own December for the next couple of years and just go with right. it yeah, there were people. I remember when episode eight was released was said to be released in December. The week after that, there were three or four movies that were releasing in December between a week around episode eight. They were like, "Nope, we're moving our dates. We're not going to compete with that. Screw you." 
Spielberg's uh, Ready Player One, I think, was supposed to release that same weekend or the week before or after or something like that. And then he moved to the following year because he didn't want to compete with that. Yeah. And if so I, between, he's I don't know if they... in 2018. I want to say he's March 2018 now. Yeah, I think something like that. Which is going to be not super packed. It'll be, the, I think, what, uh, does Deadpool? I think Deadpool. No, Deadpool's May. Yeah, I think, yeah, as I say, they moved Deadpool to summer blockbuster season. Yeah, um, it was originally, I so think So wait, it Deadpool was... would be May of 2018 now? Yeah. So so or Han maybe... Solo, No, Avengers no, no, I'm sorry, June, War... June 1st. First Friday okay. of June. All right. Um, but in, I guess... Still, it... that's a week after uh, Han Solo. Yes. That's the thing. So, <laughs> so in May, you would have... At the beginning of May, you would have Infinity War. At the end of May, you would have Han Solo. And then a week later, you're going to have Deadpool 2. Why? Yeah. And then a year later, they're going to do it again. Because yes. Episode 9, or uh, Avengers 4, would be beginning of May. And then end of May would be Episode 9. Correct. In 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 February and March of next year, all you have right now that's like in this genre stuff that I can tell quickly, you would have Black Panther... In February, I believe. And then you'd have Ready Player One that's slated for March. And that was a smart pick for them to move to March. If they weren't going to stick with, like, the November or December 2017, I think they were originally aiming for, March was, like, they found a pocket right in the middle of everything that was probably a smart way to go. But, right, you know, and I guess that's existing. I don't know what, I, I don't know what studio is making Ready Player One, but, um, you know, the it, like I said, I, if they don't, if they all don't collectively realize that they need to kind of pull back a little bit, I, I think they're really going to oversaturate things. Like even to the fans, like sometimes people just well, don't yeah. have the time and money to hit all this stuff. That's the thing. Movie ticket prices are not getting any cheaper. Right. So if you have people having to make a choice between Star Wars or Avengers, like if you, but if you space them out six months apart, People don't have to make that choice, especially just from like putting a Star Wars movie in December is like a freaking Christmas gift for all of us Star Wars fans out there. That was a great feeling. A week before Christmas, you get a Star Wars movie. Yes. Like, that's great. So, yeah, I don't I don't understand. It doesn't make sense for me from a business standpoint that they would release two things that they own three weeks apart from each other that they know are going to make bank. It doesn't matter when you release them. Those things are going to make money. So why not give them the space to make money on their own? Instead, I don't know. It's it's still it just kind of boggles my mind with all that stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've beat that to death, uh, what's next on the docket? Well, I did mention Indiana Jones, so I just want to touch on Indy a little bit too. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it, I didn't look to see if it's competing against anything around that time because it might be too far out there that there's really nothing out yet. Like, but yeah, like solidly confirmed. Yeah, but just for the simple fact, they are making an Indiana Jones five with Harrison Ford. How should we feel about that? Um, okay, so its release date is, what, 2020? Yes. And, uh, let's see, Crystal Skull was 2008? Maybe. Um, I mean, who doesn't like Indiana Jones? So it's like, any Indiana Jones is probably better than no Indiana Jones. Yes, even if it is the Crystal Skull. But, I. Uh, feel like it's probably five years late at this point already. I mean, this has to be the last, at least the last one with Harrison Ford. I think we will get Indiana Jones movies after Harrison Ford is done. I'm surprised that the last one 
wasn't the last one with Harrison Ford, to be honest. Yeah, well, I think they probably wanted to do that. It it had every thematic element there that of a passing the torch thing oh, happening. Yeah. But that movie was so crappily received, uh, and Shia LaBeouf went out the deep end, yeah, that it, I don't think they can use that anymore. And, and, you know, let's not just say it was crappily received. It was partially crappily made. Fair, yeah, fair point. Uh, Which, to the point of this one, the press release only only mentions like there's been three names that have always been involved with Indiana Jones: Harrison Ford, yep. Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas. Okay, George Lucas is not mentioned at all in this press release that they are moving forward with Indiana Jones Five. Should we be worried about that, or is that a good thing? Because I mean, I would, as much as I love George Lucas. He had some things wrong with the prequels, I think some decisions he made, and because he is the writer of these Indiana Jones movies, I blame him for Crystal Skull. Um, so without his involvement with this one, I would say that's a good move, but I I don't know if you if you disband the Holy Trin- Trinity, yeah, how this movie is going to go. Well, I just so I'm on the I'm on the page for Crystal Skull. So Lucas is credited with story with someone else. Okay. But not screenplay. Okay. So, I'm hoping that the... I mean, let... let, I don't want to say, like, let's just be honest, like, we're the authorities on this necessarily, but honestly, if you took away that Shia LaBeouf swinging through the trees with monkeys sequence, (laughs) I think the film reputation greatly improves 20% just by that. Yeah, that was a really stupid fucking scene. And the, I will say, like, the first half hour, 45 minutes of that movie, I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. It was until the reveal that there are freaking aliens in an Indiana Jones movie. I was yeah. like, nope, I'm out. Give me the fuck. This is not what Indiana Jones is about. <laughs> I know. And I, I, I'm somewhat of a Crystal Skull defender in the way that Indiana Jones, I think, I think Crystal Skull what it ended up being illustrated that while Indiana Jones is of a fantastical supernatural, uh, you know, nature, um, it's still grounded enough that it seemed plausible. Right. It see, it seemed real enough. Um, it, it, it deals with myth and legend and not science fiction. That's yes. the line for me. Perfect. Perfect. Exactly. Um, you know, the ar- to be fair, out of the three, like, the Ark of the Covenant is probably the one closest to going to, like, like, wow, that was really out of left field and kind of silly. I think, I, I, I think the, the series benefited from that being the first of those okay. stories and like nothing like that really having been around for a long time or really having been done before. So they got a second bite at the apple with Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. Temple of Doom didn't have as much of the, you know, ingrained, you know, long con with the history and things really coming to fruition centuries later and, you know, 2000 years later. So they went back to that with Last Crusade. Um, and I think they just felt like, you know, maybe we, like, where else do we go from here? Yeah. What else could we really dig at that, you know, and they said, you know, frick, screw it. Indiana Jones would be involved in things of, of 
a huge scale that are out, you know, not to be punny, but this is a kind of like out of this world and, and beyond <laughs> like what we think of. And with what they had left, they're like, okay, let's, let's, let's do it. Extraterrestrials. So I kind of get it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it makes the movie better. And I, and I, I get that. So I don't know how much of that that I really fault George Lucas for. Like I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. Like as a creative endeavor, I, I see the evolution of it, but I don't think if he's involved, I don't necessarily think the movie's going to horribly suck. Cause I guarantee after, after Crystal Skull, they learned that lesson. Right. Th- this, this fifth installment is going to be so obviously back to basics, so to speak with what makes Indiana Jones good. Yeah. You know, they're not, he and Harrison Ford, just like, uh, force awakens the amount of money that they paid him to go back to that. And they probably strengthened his character. You know, he didn't want to just be a supporting role with a small thing. Like he's like, well, this is the last time I'm going to do this. Let's flesh this out. I want to be central. I want to do this. If this is the last Indiana Jones he's ever going to do, it's going to be the same thing. He's going to make sure it's strong. Well, I think the rumor way back when he signed on for Force Awakens, this was coming out. Of course, people were denying it, I think, at the time at Disney, like just sort of playing it off like, yeah, we're looking into it. But that somewhere in his contract was, yes, I'll come back for Star Wars if they move forward on another, another Indiana Jones movie. Oh, okay. That were, was a, a contingent. Yeah. Contingency. So I think I think he's he's Harrison Ford and I think is more – I think he enjoys playing Indy more than he does Han Solo. So I think getting the last hurrah with Han Solo for Force Awakens and then being able to get an Indy movie out of it, I think, was a win-win sort of for him. So we'll see if they can finally sort of rinse the taste out of our mouth from Crystal Skull yeah, and end on a high note. Yeah, probably. Because this, this has to definitively be it for him. I can't imagine them trying to find a way to get him into Indy 6. Uh, No. I, it, it would it would be it would have to be very ludicrous because I, I I remember when Crystal Skull came out it was only at that point in my life that at, you know as there was like renewed reporting about the Indiana Jones franchise um you know because when was when was Last Crusade I mean it was like late 80s so it had been like 20 years since there was an Indiana Jones movie so with yeah. all like renewed reporting about the series. That's when I first heard that, oh, Steven Spielberg always had this idea that it would be like a five-chapter adventure, and eventually he wanted to get this fifth movie made. You know, that you know that this has got to be it, right? This has got to be the swan song. Yeah. You know, he, well, I mean, he's You can watch Last Crusade and say that was old. the swan song. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. But if they, if they, and it would have worked. It would have been fine if that was all that ever existed. Since they went back to the well, and if he had this notion that it would be a five-chapter series with Harrison Ford and this Indiana Jones character, then, you know, okay, make make this, make it well, but don't try to, you know, maybe Harrison Ford might pop up sort of as the, not as central and, and big of a role, but like Sean Connery did to him in Last Crusade, where he is okay. the mentor or father or something of whoever takes over the mantle, where he's kind of involved, depending on how long it takes them to get something out. But by 2020, Harrison Ford will be 78 years old. Yeah. When this movie is released, 
he will be just about turning 78 years old. So anything short, any, or any, I'm sorry, anything more than, oh, look, Indy has popped in and will give us advice or something. Like, there, there's just no way. So you think they'd sort of retcon Crystal Skull? They've got to, right? Like, how can they well, not? How you're can obviously they not? not getting Shia LaBeouf back. So either they no. recast. They might, that they, character they might recast. Or. They might recast. I could, I could see that. But it depends. Well, it might be worth it to them. I'm, saying, I'm sure when he signed for Crystal Skull, it was probably for a multi picture deal. Oh, I'm sure. Because yeah. they, they, if it was received well and et cetera, they absolutely wanted to make sure that contractually they could force him back. So yeah. guaranteed he was in for two or three chapters at least. He's probably knocking at the door once he heard Indy 5 was working. He's like, hey, hey, I'm around. Come on. Well, either I'm that. Ready. Well, I mean, he seems to be sleeping outside the studio. Well, <laughs> I would say he seems, you know what, from the money that he's made, though, like, no, but there's not reports anywhere of, like, Shiloh LaBeouf being in, like, desperate poverty by any means. So he seems to be managing his assets well enough that he can have this eccentric artist's life that he does and just you know what fine good good to him he he got to that point he earned it it's hit you know whatever but what i'm thinking more is not like hey guys i'm here okay i i'll work for it right i, I can still do it <laughs> i think more he's gonna be knocking on the door and holding up that contract he signed to their little peephole window saying here's exactly how much you said you would pay me to buy out my contract oh yeah so that you can recast this role <laughs> that's you know they're they're gonna Billy D Williams two face this. <laughs> that is exactly what they're gonna do if they want to recast. I, I could see that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or they take the other route and don't even bring that character back at all and just recast Indiana Jones. Period. Recast Harrison Ford. Like like for a number six. Or I'd like well at that point I don't think you'd call it a number six. I think no. that's a that's a reboot. So yeah, but for number five. If we're still still talking about that, like you you can't. They, well, it depends, I guess, where they want to go with the franchise after five. If uh, if after five yeah. they're thinking reboot, then just give Harrison Ford his final outing as Indiana Jones and end it definitively true, after this one. True, but I don't think you can ignore. I don't think you can make another Indiana Jones movie and just literally act like the fourth one didn't exist. It's got to be addressed or incorporated in some way. You'll get a line of dialogue that Mutt Williams died in a fiery car crash, and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> you know, may maybe. I he was swinging with the damn monkeys, and the vine <laughs> broke. He fell to his doom over the cliff. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I got in Indy. You got anything else you want to add for Indy? Not a lot. I just say, like, I mean, they're always enjoyable to some extent. They're 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 popcorn flicks, and I'm sure whatever they they make will will be good. Um, like I said, I just, I, I think maybe, I think if they had gone into production for another Indiana Jones that they had out in like 2012, 2013, that would have been ample time to lick the wounds, keep it going, get your next thing out and just move on. I, it's, it's 12 years. By the time it comes out, it's going to be 12 years after Crystal Skull. That's a freaking long time. It, yeah. I mean, kudos for Harrison Ford for still sticking it out, but I don't think we're going to get too many shots of him running down the hallways or anything like that. A lot of stunt double for, uh, from behind work. Standing in place using the whip, <laughs> not, not running around. Yeah. Other people running at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, all right. Uh, on to the next one I yep. got, which is uh, we got some DC stuff. DC Ooh. has a few other TV shows in the works. Okay. They are preparing to release a third season of Young Justice, which will be titled Young Justice Outsiders. Okay. And they are apparently move, moving forward on a live-action Teen Titans show that's just called Titans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you may remember us talking about Titans at one point in the past. That was a pilot up for, or I think it was up for a pilot order. I think they at least shot a pilot uh, that was supposed to hit TNT, but that never saw the light of day. Young Justice is an animated show featuring young sidekick heroes such as Superboy, Robin, Kid Flash, Aqualad, uh, and Miss Martian. Uh, that show lasted two seasons before it was prematurely canceled. Fans of that show have been pushing for some sort of revival. I think have been constantly trying to watch and rewatch the previous two seasons on Netflix in the hopes that Warner Brothers would sort of take notice. Uh, the good news is that Warner Brothers took notice. They are deciding to bring the show back for that third season. The bad news is that Netflix will not be the one getting the show. Instead, Warner Brothers wants to launch their own DC digital service. Oh, yeah. Which will have Young Justice Outsiders and Titans as the first shows to be offered and headlining the service. Seems to be the same crap CBS is trying to pull with their Star Trek show. I don't know if it's going to work. What do you think about DC trying the same sort of thing that CBS... I mean, we don't even know what CBS's model is going to do, because that's not out yet. Right. They haven't finished shooting Star Trek Discovery, so we don't even know if it's going to work for CBS. Yeah. Let alone try to work for DC, but I don't know. How do you feel about another another service to possibly sign up for, for some DC content? Well, it's it's a catch-22, I think, and actually I think it puts a lot of consumers uh, in the position of, you know, stop being such, um, uh, you know, hypocritical little babies. <laughs> but at the same time, it's going to be an interesting experiment on where consumer media goes. Where's the thing? Because I feel like everybody is always bitching about how the cable companies loop them into these long, expensive deals for cable television, and they want to have the ability to pick their own packages. Well, pretty soon I feel like you're going to get that. Every freaking network that has two or three shows is going to make you pay $10 a month to watch their shows on some sort of downloaded app. Uh, possibly. In the long run, I feel like that's going to be more expensive than probably what you're paying now if you want all these shows back. So I don't know how this is going to work in the long run. I mean, because again, the trend just seems to be as soon as anybody gets a handful of shows that they offer on Netflix... Yeah. They leave Netflix and they say, oh, you want to watch these shows you've been watching for years? Well, now you got to pay us $10 on top of your Netflix subscription. Yeah. If a network start bailing from Netflix and, and, and doing that on their own, this is going to add up pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's – the conundrum of it, the paradox is the same thing people have been bitching about for 35 years with cable is – why do I have to have all these channels? Why can't I just pay for what I want? The model, unfortunately, of mass media like that requires bundling. And c- yeah. cable, to a certain extent, or or, or these communications, rather, I, I feel like it. It's, it's like a natural utility. You know, you can only have so many electric companies servicing uh, creating transmitting and providing electricity mm-hmm. same with water treatment same with natural gas like uh same with public transportation like it, it there are certain things that just the industry seems to mold itself into this natural utility and to some degree um telecommunication delivery is is the same way so while 
a lot of people like uh, talking about price points. If you just have Netflix streaming, that's going to cost you 11 bucks a month. If yeah. you want Amazon Prime, that comes along with I actually don't know what the standalone streaming price is because if you get um if you if you buy the Prime membership for whatever it is now like 100 a year, yeah. That comes with it, but like the streaming is probably I'm guessing maybe 10 to 20 a month. If you have Hulu, that's maybe 10 to 15 a month. So in the end, you could have those three services for probably no more than 50 bucks a month, and you get a hell of a lot of content. Um, the issue that networks are going to have is making that transition. Whatever this next evolution of content delivery is, I, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but they're going to have to figure out how to fit into that. Because not you're right, not everybody is gonna want to pay their five or ten dollars a month for that channel just for that one show. But are you going to have the emergence of additional like amalgamating entities? Like are you gonna have additional Hulus? Are you going to have additional Netflix type companies that are bundling like an AMC? and a CBS, and a CW, and somehow putting that in a central place for you to go get for $20 a month. I, I don't think the per-network thing is going to work. I think some places are going to try it, and it'll last a little bit, but overall it's not going to be a success. Yeah, I foresee it crashing and burning, but I definitely see a lot of places trying to, like, just letting... Because, you know, Netflix buys contracts to be able to stream stuff for a certain amount of time right. through their service. I think eventually networks are going to start wising up that instead of giving Netflix money, we can make this money on our own and they're going to let those contracts expire and set up their own service. CBS notoriously was never on Hulu. I think that was the only major network that wasn't on Hulu. Okay. And now they're finally trying to start their own service to do that stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, Fox pulls stuff off Hulu, ABC pulls stuff off Hulu, and suddenly they start doing their own things. So you could pay for a service for each major network, essentially. So if you watch five to ten major networks for their programming, and then you're paying ten bucks, ten, fifteen bucks for each and every of those networks' right. own digital service, how far, that how shit adds up. Yeah. So I don't. But at the same time, when there's that many options and people are still trying to lower their bills for this stuff, yeah. and pick and choose five out of the ten. Obviously, the other five are going to crash and burn and go away, and then what do they do? Right, and then they're going to end up consolidating anyway because they're still going to be able to get in on the game. Yeah. Um, I, I think it will work. Like, if CBS had a um, – if they have enough programming that they offer, CBS is, I think, overall, especially with, like, Big Bang being on there for so long, it is, like, the most – watched single network out of the big couple and i i have a point to make about that because i've said this in the past i feel that cbs is the is the old person network right that that's the one that just old people watch on television if you take a lot of that stuff and make it part of a paid subscription service through an app or a tablet or computer yeah how many old people do you think are going to come over to that service and be able to watch it that way and pay for it that way? They're True. going to use, lose half their viewership because they go to an app. True. And th yeah, that that would be a counterpoint. I, I, I was going to say if there is a – I was using that as an example to, to illustrate. If, there, if there's a particular network that a certain person watches enough of their content so heavily from – 
for that person, it'll be worth it to them. If I if I'm only watching CBS and ABC, well, that's a bad example because those are public broadcast channels anyway. <laughs> but just you know, sake of argument, um, that if they don't want to pay their seventy to a hundred dollars a month for their cable package because freaking you can't like get anything for less than that anymore, it seems. Right. Um, and they'll you know tack on, and, and they already have an internet bill probably. So if they take their $60 internet bill and tack on another $15 for two network subscriptions for that, it might be worth it if they can cancel the rest of their cable. It's going to depend on how many of those people exist. Beca- yeah. Because there are so many people who watch programming and content on such a variety of providers that that that's why the model hasn't worked first. Because like even on AMC, like... I am a diehard Walking Dead fan, but now that like Breaking Bad's been off for a couple of years, there's nothing else on AMC. Well, comic book men I enjoy, but like there's nothing else on AMC in terms of regular programming that I've really enjoyed the last couple of years that I watch it exclusively and I've seen every episode and, you know, this and that. So I don't even know if I would consent to paying for an AMC exclusive subscription just to get the walking dead because i don't know if that's worth it to me yet right all right so bringing it back around more to the fact for the dc specific yeah 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 yeah. between young justice outsiders and titans would those two shows be enough to entice you to pay for this service not at all okay especially when it's um it's such narrowed programming in terms of theme yeah, I'm I'm under the impression this is gonna be strictly like DC's comic type related yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um I mean the, the the live action Teen Titans show sounds like it and it has the potential to perhaps be something interesting and cool, depending on how they create it, what audience they're going for, what kind of mood they're going for, etc. Um yeah. but but just like are those three creations enough for for me to think automatically like yes sir where do i sign up but no not yet yeah i'm sure there will be other stuff that they will offer but those are the two that are going to be i guess the first part of it yeah i wouldn't be surprised i mean i don't know how it works with cw but for the amount of dc shows that they have on cw if they could take flash arrow supergirl legends of tomorrow all that stuff and put it on this dc service that would be enough to bring me over because i watch that stuff religiously so if it suddenly leaves the CW and you have to pay ten bucks a month for this DC service, I'm in for those shows. But yeah, just that... for Young Justice and Titans, I don't know. I I'm with you. I think they sound intriguing. I tried. I started watching a little bit of Young Justice on Netflix, which I enjoyed. I actually want to get back to watching it. But now that if I want to, now that I know that if I want to continue the story after two seasons, I have to pay for the service. I don't know if it'll hook me enough to want me to do that. Yeah, which I also feel like it's kind of a slap in the face for people that watch those shows to get it renewed. Yeah, they get it renewed and they're like, "Oh, by the way, now Pony you owe us ten bucks for this service." Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not that they actually did it, but it's it's not like it was actually crowdsourced. But it it would it would be like them bringing back Firefly, right? And then they're like, yeah. "Oh, the only way to get that was that was Fox, right?" Firefly, yes. yeah. and then Fox being, "Oh, the only way you can get Firefly." is to sign up for this exclusive new product that we're offering just <laughs> to get this. Like and, and you know that's a world of difference than when 
uh, like Arrested Development went on to Netflix, the season four yeah. that they created, because it was a platform that already existed that worked in collaboration with those actors and writers and creative team and all of that to produce it because nobody else was going to. Right. No one else was going to carry it. And they only knew the, – the only reason there's even a point in doing it is because people have wanted it for so long. And yeah. you're right. So to to say like, oh, thank you for being such uh, loyal fans and enjoying what we've created uh, to the point where we're going to create more content for you. Go to this other thing <laughs> that is being created as basically just to deliver this to you. Right. And it's an additional bill you'll have. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if if – I mean, granted, when you said Firefly, I'm like, ooh, would I pay ten bucks a month for a Fox service to watch another Firefly season? Like, if there were, I might well, well, do that. Well, also think of potential longevity. I'm sure in 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 DC's mind, this is supposed to be sustainable. It's not supposed to be people sign up for the first month, binge what they have to offer, and then cancel. That's true. Yeah, and and people would do that for Firefly. And I'm, I I know people specifically who never had Netflix in their life until Arrested Development was on there and they signed up for Netflix. Now, yeah. they might have binged those couple of episodes and they might have canceled right away. And that's that's fine, but the point was there were hundreds of thousands of other options for them to get out of that with that membership. If DC is creating this like I said sort of narrowly focused subject matter platform just for this stuff, and once I consume it, it's over. Like, what po- what's what point do I have to continue? And that sort of brings up an interesting point because we're assuming, or at least I was assuming, that this DC service would be like Netflix. They create a show, and in one day they drop the whole entire season. Right. But you're right. If they want some longevity and to keep people around, would do you think they do a weekly release for shows that you're paying ten ten bucks a month for? Uh, if they do, I'm assuming. They would not be deleting the previously released episodes as they go. So why wouldn't everyone just wait till the last episode's released and sign up? Oh, that's fair too. Yeah. So either way, there's there's a way for you to get what you paid for for a month and then just say, fuck you, I've got what I want and I'm out of here. Right. So at that point, they might as well just set it up on some streaming platform. like Because you can do Amazon. You can do um, maybe another platform or two just as a rental fee. So yeah. so you can rent it digitally rather than pay a subscription fee. So, you know, pay us the 15 or 20 bucks to watch this new season of Young Justice we've created. And that's it. It's a one-time fee. It's over and done with. Rather than the idea of selling, pay us 10 15 $20 a month for, what, in perpetuity? Like, for what? Why would I do that? Yeah. Yeah, well, like, I guess that's even more to the point that I feel like these things will crash and burn then. People just are going to sign up for the free month that they give you to watch what they want. And then after that free month, not renew, and that's going to be it. So, they're, yeah, they any of these services, I think, are going to have some sort of, like you said, they're going to have some sort of uh, unique stream of content where the first couple months, like like maybe the first month it's released, you get Young Justice and Titans. The next month they're going to have maybe one or two other shows that come out to hopefully incentivize people to stick around. And hopefully the quality is good enough that you want to stick around. But again, I guess that remains to be seen. We'll have to see 
once they start releasing trailers or something for this stuff, the Titans one I'm I'm actually pretty curious about. I'd like mm-hmm. to see a trailer or something for that. Yeah. To see what it looks like. But I don't think they released any type of release date as to when they're going to put these shows out and try this service other than it's coming. So we'll see if we get, I mean, they don't even have a price point for it. So we're assuming 10 bucks a month because that's normally what everything else is. But if it's cheaper, maybe they'll get more people to, to try it. I don't know. Maybe. I, I think, I mean, it, you need you need people to push boundaries. You need people to come up with new ideas. That's how the world turns. But I don't think this is going to be very successful. That's just my prediction. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I kind of feel like the same way. I mean, if enough people start canceling cable to do these services, that might over like help overall people's cable bills eventually. Yeah. But if that happens and they go to these streaming services, but then none of the streaming services can sustain themselves and everybody goes back to cable, we're all going to be right back where we started. Uh, yeah, I don't see that happening anytime soon, though. Yeah. All right, well, that's another wait and see, and we'll try to come back to that with some updates. Uh, next one I got, uh, James Mangold confirmed that Logan will be getting a black and white release on May 16th. Okay. A week before the Blu-ray release of the movie, which I believe, if you look at the Blu-ray special features, gets the black and white version as well. Oh, did you look it up? (laughs) So it's pretty much just if you want to see it in the theater, I guess. Yeah. So I don't know if the theatrical release is is enough for people to want to go see it a week before it's on home video in black and white, but... That'll be out there. So I don't know. Like I think you and I talked about if we'd see a black and white version and if it would be any you know worth going to see. I think we both sort of agreed that if it's on the Blu-ray, that would probably be the way to do it. Yeah. I don't know if I have any type of incentive to see it in the theater. I mean, I, f- I fucking love the movie, and I'm anxious to watch it again. But yeah. if I just wait another week to watch it on home video, that's fine with me. Yeah, and if they weren't, yeah, if they weren't going to include it on on the Blu-ray. Uh, the incentive. Let me fact check myself. Sure, I'm pretty sure I saw that. Yeah, the um, I want to I want to make sure I'm saying the right. The incentive stuff to get people in the theater for it would be much much greater. Um, but I I don't know. I mean, I know. I mean, the where where I work, we don't have a whole lot of flexibility in in carrying that kind of special stuff because we don't have as many theaters that we play in. Uh, we we only have ten rooms, so kind of depends um i i haven't really heard of any of the area theaters that are going to be carrying it like is it is it just gonna be like one weekend or one day that's what i was unclear about too i don't know if it's going to be specifically that one day the may 16th and that's it or if it's going to play for a week i it was kind of unclear i think james mangold tweeted about it his tweet only mentioned may 16th so it could just be a one day thing yeah i mean i'm sure i i I could think of two or three theaters then in the area that would probably carry it as like a special event thing and it probably won't go in like massive rooms and you know the hardcore fans will come out to see it i'm sure it actually is going to be pretty cool i i think it'll it'll be really different I, i don't because the movie is so long I don't know. Like, there's there's scenes that I think would be really cool in black and white. I don't know how I feel about the whole movie. True. Yeah. Uh, being that way, I think after a little while, it'll it'll lose the effect, so to speak. Um, but I don't know. It, yeah. It, I mean, if it's gonna be on Blu-ray a week and a half, two weeks later. Yeah, because the Blu-ray release is May twenty third. A week later, then yeah. Yeah. 
And I'm looking at the special features. It is confirmed. No, Logan Noir, a black and white version of the film, is listed as special features for the Blu-ray. I think if we still lived in a world where it took something even nine months to a year to come out on Blu-ray, as opposed to less than three months in this case. Yeah. Um, it'd be a much different story. But because you could hit that like mid year. So if it came out in March and you did this black and white release in September, October, and the Blu-ray is going to hit in November or December, that's that's different. You know, yeah. that you you build up anticipation for it. You have something that's far enough away from the movie release, but still, you know, you have to wait a couple of more weeks, a couple more months for the Blu-ray. Um I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to go very well. I, I should say, I, I don't think ticket sales are going to be that big. Yeah, I mean, for stuff like that, I didn't, they did the black and white for Mad Max, didn't they? Or was that just on the Blu-ray? That I don't know. I'm actually curious. I feel like it's the same type of thing. Like, I don't think, like you said, I think the hardcore people will come out and watch it. I don't think it'll get just casual moviegoers going to see it in black and white. They probably won't know what the hell they're watching, but... Yeah, it'll it'll make a little bit, maybe enough to justify its run in theaters, but that would probably be about it. I'm curious. It's I don't know if they're like rushing this release or whatnot. Like they want to get it out like Memorial Day weekend. Maybe that's like before, uh, uh, Wonder Woman comes out and you know takes away some steam. I don't know. But like for instance, when I think I did the same thing on on Amazon. I searched for Logan. It shows the release date May 23rd. The movie came out like what the first or second friday of march i think it was like march 3rd okay so again less than three months john wick 2 came out i believe two to three weeks before logan and it's not getting released on blu-ray until two week two or three weeks after yeah so like why are they rushing this logan dvd it's not like the movie didn't make a butt ton of money and get amazing reviews like I, I don't know why they're doing this i think it depends how much they want to put into special features and stuff like that like i think logan the the blu-ray release i don't just looking at the special features it's got the black and white version audio commentary deleted scenes with optional audio commentary and one behind the scenes documentary which it remains to be seen how long that documentary is it could be 20 minutes and that's it which means Probably by November, December, I'm sure you'll get a Logan Definitive Edition or something. Well, they'll try to make you double dip and buy it again with extra special features and stuff like that. So John Wick could be coming to Blu-ray with a lot of behind-the-scenes footage and special features about, like, the stunt coordination and all the fight scenes and stuff like that. So, it, I don't know. I, I like all the extra stuff, and which is why I end up double dipping on some movies based on what how thick and well put together the special features are. Okay. Like, I know I've done that for Star Wars movies, especially like, like the Force Awakens came out and there was no audio commentary from the director on the movie. Okay. And then in November, they released the 3D version of Force Awakens, which had extra special features and the audio commentary with J.J. Abrams. So (laughs) I had to buy that because I want to hear fucking J.J. Abrams audio commentary. Do you, and I'm just asking, do you even have a 3D TV or Blu-ray player? No. So you bought that version just to be like get like the regular Blu-ray that would have that would have his commentary on it. Yes. Okay. 
I mean, I know I know people that have 3D stuff, so right. if I take it to someone else's place, I can see it in 3D. Okay. But that was not the reason I bought it. Okay. The reason I bought it was for the extra special features. Uh, okay, and I, I get that. I mean, kind of dig- digressing in the plot for a moment, it feels like, though, like, yeah, that might be why John Wick is taking an extra couple weeks to come out, but still, it's only four months after the movie was released in theaters. True. Like, that. that's... That's really freaking short. Like yeah, we, compared to what we were used to back in the day with the VHS tapes and stuff. I yeah. mean, e- even when even when DVD initially took over as the prime format, it was still maybe D- DVD was still nine months to a year, and then it really slowly started getting cut back, cut back, cut back, and it was eight months, six months, and now the standard is like three months. I think there's a minimum of like the the movie has to be in theaters for at least three months before any type of home video release can come out. That, like maybe give or take a little bit, but I'm pretty sure it's around that ballpark. Just because you know they want the movie to make money in theaters, so they want to right and and that's make that is the only way for you to see it. Yeah, and that's probably to appease theater owners and that right. that industry yeah. a lot. I'm I'm sure they would have you know if if things are down. And I mean, I've seen it where I am. Again, we don't have as many rooms, so we can't keep some stuff as long as as some other places do. But I mean, the standard now is what maybe four or five weeks that it's in a theater. Yeah, and I'm sure that you know movie production companies would love to have that thing released on DVD the next week. Oh yeah, well the digital releases keep getting quicker. Yeah. Digital release is like two or three weeks before an actual home video release. So in the years to come, they I don't know how much more physical discs and stuff will be around. I feel like everything's going to go the way of digital releases and stuff like that eventually. I'm just It just depends, I think, how many years before that happens. But Yeah, I mean, and like you just said, with uh, you know certain generation not moving away from cable to anything related to the internet, you know it's going to take a while for people to let go of that physical medium because, because there's a lot of people just don't have, I, I mean, I, it is surprising when people just stop to think about it for a moment. They don't realize how many people don't have routine home internet access. Yeah. It, it, it really is more than people realize. So yeah, the, the idea that like the physical thing that you at the minimum might be able to go buy if you have a Blu-ray or, or a DVD player still, or that you can get through Netflix if you get the discs, or if you go to your library and, and still get that physical thing, you know, it's it's going to take... I mean, there's a huge market that's going to go exclusively digital, but uh, the physical thing is going to be around for quite a long time more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I got for Black and White Logan. Anything else for you? No, no, no. Like I said, I'll, I'll right. be interested to watch it. I'm sure it'll it'll be cool in its own way, but uh, it, I'm not going to the theater to see it. I think that movie is beautiful enough shot in color. Yeah, and I think like I think it like you said, I think it could look cool in black and white. But I think just to appreciate the movie a little bit more with the color, I think is probably definitely how I'm going to end up watching it for multiple viewings. But yeah, I'll at least try the black and white once yeah. and just see. Maybe it'll surprise me. We'll True. see. Could be something to talk about later. Uh. Last story I got, yep. it, it's pretty much nothing more than, wouldn't it be cool if... <laughs> okay, I like this. But uh, 
DC has been trying to get a, rec- a director for The Flash. It's already been through two different directors for the project. Right. A rumor hit last week that Robert Zemeckis was meeting with DC about the movie. Now, as soon as I published that rumor, which I stressed was a rumor, because yep. there was not a lot of confirmation as to sources and how in-depth and concrete the talks were, if it was just one meeting or, or what. Uh, and then, like, what, two days later, I think, yeah. it was confirmed Zemeckis was directing a movie for Universal that stars Steve Carell. And he's out. Which takes him out of the running for The Flash. Yeah. <laughs> so this is just kind of like, wouldn't it be awesome if Robert Zemeckis directed The Flash movie? Yeah, it felt like um like in the like mid nineties, uh I hear stories quite often um that in like uh Wizard Magazine, for instance, they would run a lot of like <laughs> theoretical fan casting for these comic book movies that would never exist. Um it feels like it was a throwback to that. Like people yeah. were having a conversation like, wouldn't it be cool if Robert Zemeckis, for instance, I don't know. <laughs> Directed like the Flash. What do you think? And then it went away. Yeah, because I think like the even the headlines I had read when it was like he's in talks. It was he's in talks to direct the Flash. He actually really cares about the character, and and likes the character, which is a good incentive for someone to go in and try to shop themselves for directing a movie. And just you know Zemeckis's pedigree for for movies and like I'm just picturing a back to the future type tone, but with the flash, like to me, that was like the perfect storm of who could direct the flash. Yeah. Especially cause they're struggling so hard to hang on to a freaking director for this movie. So I don't, we don't know what the problem is with this movie. If it's studio interference, if the flash is just that difficult to get under wraps for a film. I mean, I guess we might have a better idea after we see justice league and how he's used in that movie, but at least from the trailers, he's, He's a standout to me for the trailers, which I'm expecting him to be a standout for me for the movie. Yeah. Which means I'm going to be really looking forward to his solo movie, which they can't fucking make for some reason. Yeah, and it's weird because it feels like – I don't even know where, but I I enjoyed the Flash cameos in Batman Superman and in Suicide Squad. And it feels like he would work well interconnected in some ways to these other characters, uh, solo like movies playing off and, them and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm sure he could, you know, Ezra Miller and, and that character can definitely carry a solo movie. Um, but I think there's a lot to flash in what he can affect, uh, such as dimensions and time and okay. certain things yeah. where you, you could have that as, as a side feature to some of these other plot lines. I mean, if you watch the TV show, you get a lot of that in the TV show too. Right. Alternate dimensions and timelines and all that stuff. Right. So there's a there's a lot there to sort of you know play in the toy box with. Um, but yeah, Z- Zemeckis, like looking down, like I wanted to refresh myself, like not you know ob- obviously if you're, you know, in my my world, like I've I've it's weird, like I knew that name tied to Back to the Future since I was 12 years old. <laughs> um, but like you really look back at his, you know, CV. You know, before Back to the Future, he did Romancing the Stone. And then between Back to the Future 1 and 2 and 3, he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Death Becomes Her, Forrest Gump, Contact, Castaway, Polar Express, Beowulf, Flight, The Walk. Um, Like, the dude has done a range of stuff. And, you know, that's funny to me because every time I even knew he directed Forrest Gump, but every time I hear Forrest Gump, I think Steven Spielberg. Right. 
Right. For I I for whatever reason forget that Zemeckis did Forrest Gump. Yeah, and I mean it's been a while. Um, but you know it would be fun to see him like really dive back into sort of the sci-fi world again, like proper. Plus, I that. think because it's 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 he's... sci-fi, but it's very you know quote grounded in a rational reality. Right. Um, you know, plus just even from sort of a studio standpoint, I guess, like his last couple of movies, I don't think have made very much money at the box office. They may have been well received critically, right. but I don't think they made a lot of money. No, his last, so, his last couple were allied, which just came out at the end of last year. And then right. before that was the walk, um, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt about the French guy that walked across the wire right. on, the, on the, uh, world trade center in like the seventies or eighties. And then before that was flight. So like those are his three most okay, recent. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. Like they get a lot of good critical acclaim, but they're not massive smashes. I mean, even, even, so, even Castaway was, and that goes back to 2000. I mean, that was probably the, you know, biggest hit at the box office yeah. and critics and all that's like, so to speak, like all, like all around, like bona fide hit. So yeah. So sort of from that standpoint, he's due for a big, hit movie and putting him behind a blockbuster franchise or something like the flash yeah. is almost guaranteed to make a bazillion dollars. I don't, I don't know if this movie he signed on to with Steve Carell is going to have that kind of box office draw, but I mean, at the same time, maybe he doesn't want that or doesn't need that. He just makes what he wants to make. And that's the end of it, which you got to envy people that, that can do that kind of stuff. So yeah, no fault for Zemeckis. It was just sort of once his name dropped for that job, I was like, this is, Perfect. Like I can't think of anybody else I'd rather see do a Flash movie than Zemeckis. Yeah, and and it was until that moment it was like you not that you forgot about him, but it was like oh I didn't know I wanted that as much as I now do. Right. And and yeah. now don't take it away from me. Yeah. Now they they've dangled it in front of me, and now they've burned it all, <laughs> and now that's all I want back. Yeah. So yeah, we'll keep on the Flash because I don't know how soon or when. I mean, I feel like they want to get this movie out sooner rather than later. So a director has to be found sometime soon, but it still, still seems like they're taking their damn time. Oh, for so maybe I was wrong. For some reason, I thought it was supposed to be like next year or maybe even 2019. Like IMDb is listing it as a 2020 release now. I mean, it might've been at that point earlier when they had the first director attached to yeah. it, but they've gone through two directors since then. So it's nuts. Every time you lose a director, you figure that's at least delaying you six months. Because you don't know if, when a new director comes in, you don't know if you have to rewrite the entire script. Because normally they don't like t coming into a, someone else's project. They like to put their own stamp and voice on the thing, which sometimes means starting from scratch. Yeah. And if if they're coming into, again, if DC sort of has a plan like Marvel tries to do, and people coming into this movie and DC saying, okay, we got this plan that we've got set up for the next couple of years. Flash fits here. Go have fun. I don't know if they're going to want to work with that sort of restraint. Yeah. But I guess that's the uh, problem with comic book movies at this point. Everybody's trying to get their plan together. And like you said, trying to fit people in sort of a some sort of a box. Maybe not a small box, <laughs> but a box. Yeah. And some people don't like being confined that way. But, like I said, that was the last story I got. I don't know if you have anything else. If anything came up to you that you want to talk about. Uh, the only thing that I potentially saw that we uh, did, I don't 
remember if you put it on the podcast Facebook page, but we definitely talked about it like personally in social media. Um, was a little bit of um, casting announcements and, and some stuff for the follow-up to Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Yeah, you probably have to refresh my memory because I don't remember <laughs> so we, who was added or what we talked about. Uh, so we knew that you know the actress that uh, the actresses that are Tina and Queenie, and of course Eddie Redmayne, Eddie Redmayne coming back as Newt Scamander were a given. Uh, we got the tease of the character of Lita Lestrange, uh, okay. uh, Eddie's we'll call her like Hogwarts girlfriend. He ca- carried okay. the picture around of her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's Zo- Zoe Kravitz. Uh, played the picture, but she will now apparently be in the movie in real life. Um, All right, that's fair. So, so she'll be up. there. Um, and I remember when we did our review of that movie, I was surprised to find out that Ezra Miller, speaking of him, will be included as Credence again somehow. So yeah. he's not okay. he's not done. Um, and I remember you guys all telling me, like, no, I think that's going to continue that doesn't seem to be wrapped up at all and i'm like i don't see where that can go what are they going to do with that and then in the middle of that discussion i pulled up the page and he was like one of three people listed already <laughs> for the movie i'm like well f me uh <laughs> but uh he's listed there so some additions um th- this i'm so happy about i don't know what they're going to do with him but if they're going to have queenie back dan fogler is listed as jacob kowalski again that was going to be my question. Frick, and he stole yes. the show for me in that movie. So yes. I, I would be excited to have him back. Absolutely, like for me, the story of Newt and the 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 arc of the story was enough for me. But you are you are right. The thing that cement he was the glue of that movie. He was without that camaraderie, without that extra, just like intangible concept that he provided and and everything that he put together he definitely pulled that entire movie together it always helps having a character that the audience can latch onto and see the movie through that person like he was us watching that movie that he was hitting all the emotions that i felt when watching the movie and and discovering this world with everybody else so yeah he he stuck out to me hardcore yeah so that i i glanced at that the other day and um would i don't know how long it's been since i looked at this page but uh, he popped up there now, and that makes me really happy. I'm, and now that I know he's there, I'm curious to find out what is going to happen with him, what role he's going to play, you know, how how his continued existence in in everything is is going to impact it, uh, given where the you know first movie left left him. I like that you're skating around that, not, not giving away any spoilers there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is really hard in this arena for me. <laughs> um. So the big casting, well, I'll, I'll drop, I'll drop one more little breadcrumb before we get to like the big drop that happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, an actor named, I'll, I'll I'm gonna call him Callum, Calum, C A L L U M. Okay. Turner has been cast as Theseus Scamander. So if you recall, and this is not really spoilers because it's not really integral to the plot, um, there is a scene in Fantastic Beasts. Where, uh, Newt and Jacob find themselves in the middle of the Wizengamot, which is basically the United Nations meeting of the Wizarding World. So, like, the, the, the ministers of magic from every country are in this major meeting, and they find themselves accidentally in the middle of it, literally just in the room. 
And when someone asks Newt who he is, someone says his name, Newt's commander. Another minister pipes up and says, Scamander, the war hero, to which someone replies, no, that's his older brother. Okay. I am presuming that Theseus is his older brother. Gotcha. Okay. So, Calum Turner uh, will be taking the role of Eddie Redmayne's character's older brother, another Scamander. Uh, Calum, I just saw in a movie called Green Room. Which was one of the last movies that Anton Yelchin, Anton Yelchin was in in 2015. Yes, um, which was actually really kind of effed up and 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 different. Um, <laughs> it was written and directed by a guy named Jeremy Salnier. Um, and I had heard about this because Patrick Stewart is in it as well, and uh, yeah, I heard I- that Imogen Poots. Uh, is in it, and, and uh, Alia Alia Skalket from uh, Arrested Development okay. is in it. So I'd been wanting to see it for a while, and we finally we finally did. Um, I liked it enough that it actually led me to find another of this guy's movies that he wrote and directed called Blue Ruin from 2013. I got that from the library. Uh, this I think this guy is someone to watch. I, I think he's going to do some really interesting things. Um, his next upcoming movie, I believe, stars Channing Tatum. Uh, is he doing exclusively horror movies, or is he doing other genres? And you know what? The thing is, it's not exactly horror. Um, I mean, there, there's like an intense aspect to it, and with some of the graphicness or gore that can that can be included in some. It's like it's not even gore, but there is sometimes graphicness used in in the makeup. And and in in the events that are included in the stories, but I wouldn't call it horror, so okay. to speak. Um, but I'll like I'll give you the plot of his next movie is going to be 2018. It's called Hold the Dark, and IMDb has the plot simply listed as a wolf hunter tracks down a young child in the Alaskan wilderness. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It's not Channing Tatum. It's uh, it's the Skarsgård. Okay. <laughs> it's the it's the it's the main. It's Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, James Badgedale, Jeffrey Wright, uh, isn't it? Let me see who else pops out. I know this name, Riley Keough, and I don't know why I know that name. Oh, she was in, I don't know, it doesn't she was in, um, sound familiar to me. she was in Mad Max. Yeah. Oh, she was okay. in Fury Road. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think this guy's going to be doing some interesting things. Uh, but anyway, how did we get to, oh, Green Room. Um, <laughs> no, um, so in Green Room, this gentleman, Calum, uh, Turner, uh, the overall plot of the story is this, like, really underground, like, grassroots punk band in, like, modern day. It's not even, like, a period piece or anything. It's like, you think of what you, th- whatever your mind creates when you think of no name garage punk bands in the 70s or 80s. But this band is still doing that as like twenty year olds in like the year twenty fifteen. That's what this group is like. And uh Anton Yelchin and Calum are are in the band together. Okay. Um, so they're they're both in that. So so uh coming full circle, yeah, Calum has been uh cast as Newt Scamander's brother. Uh and then the last big piece that dropped was that a young Albus Dumbledore 
in the 1920s or uh, 1930s okay. yeah. will be played by Jude Law. I did hear that. That that sounds familiar now that you mentioned it. And I am very happy that I think for two things. I, I'm glad that I think an actor, I think Eddie Redmayne, especially after he won an Oscar for Theory of Everything, and then an actor of the caliber of Colin Farrell. I think they're the fact that they signed up for this series. I think I don't think we're going to see Colin Farrell again, but yeah. I think not as a pun here again, but I think they led they lent credence to the fact that American, well, <laughs> funny because Colin Farrell is Irish, but he was playing an American. Um, <laughs> that other actors who were not just and Eddie Redmayne is British, but he was playing a Brit, so I guess that works. I think it's opening the door for a lot of other actors to know they can get in in this Harry Potter game. You know, the the core group that played the characters in the first eight films were established really early on. As the series went, there were fewer and fewer new faces because everyone was in it from like chapter one or three through the end. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of new people that can dip their toes into this. And I think that's a good reason or indication that someone like Jude Law was willing to venture in. Um, I think that's excellent casting. I know Sarah and I, you know, talked about, you know, f again, like fan casting a couple of months ago thinking, oh, if this is play taking place in the 20s and 30s and 40s, they're inevitably at some point going to probably get to this epic event that happens with Dumbledore and Grindelwald, you know, in, in, in the mythology of the story, who could play that Dumbledore? It's not, you know, yeah. it's not going to be, um, Frick, why can't I think of his name? Um, Should I IMDB it. someone for you? Yeah. Uh, God damn it. Who played Dumbledore in the last like eight movies? Oh, the old, like the older age Dumbledore. Yes. Michael Gambon. Okay. You got there before. That's it. That's it. Um, Michael Gambon, you know, it, it, they're not going to de-age Michael Gambon to take him back to the 40s, so they would have to recast. Uh, I think Jude Law is an excellent choice for it. Um, now, I'll, I'll throw it to you just real quick to kind of wrap this up, but not... On the one hand, you don't... You don't need to have any kind of, like, prior Harry Potter ex, uh, exposure to this storyline to have an opinion on this, because nobody knows what it's going to be. Yeah. So since there's no source material for it, um, what is your impression of of him stepping into this? I mean, I don't have a problem with Jude Law. I like a lot of stuff that he's he's in. Um, having someone, I think I think you needed to cast someone that has a recognizable name for Dumbledore. Okay, I think that's that's a good way to play it because I think a lot of the other characters, like we, you may know a little bit more now because you've seen the first movie, but. Coming into it, Eddie Redmayne was probably the biggest name. Yes. Well, maybe Colin Farrell yeah, too. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that was it. Considering the bigger cast that you have and two names, and you know, I th yeah, I think the bigger names are going to be the draw for unfamiliar people to the franchises that aren't going to see it anyway. So I think it's a good move for them. I like Jude Law. I'm curious to see what they do with it. I, I think I'm more curious to see how the character is portrayed younger, and and trying for from what. I know watching Dumbledore in as the older version in the Harry Potter movies, mm -hmm. just to see what they do with a younger version of him, I think would be cool. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see what they do. 
Well, good. I'm glad you feel that <laughs> way. We're going to get there. Yeah, <laughs> it's happening. The other thing I think, I don't remember if we, I might have talked about it, I don't remember when they released the, the press release or whatever, but isn't David Yates directing all of these movies now? Isn't he signed up for every single one of these Fantastic Beasts I'm movies? I'm fairly certain. And I'd say at least the first three, because it was originally conceived as a trilogy, and then it expanded to five parts. So I'd say he's at least going to be uh, manning the wheel for the first three. My guess is, you know, I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't do the whole thing. I mean, if you're, with you being the Harry Potter fan, do you like his style, or would you like to see different people come in and try to interpret their material different, or do you think it's beneficial to have one guy with his vision, his tone for all five? Normally, I think I would say otherwise, but, like, I think it was very smart to have Peter Jackson do the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think... Yeah. I, okay, that's I fair. think it was smart to have one person oh, and I'll qualify this. I think it was smart to have one person do the Hobbit if they were going to do multiple chapters, although I don't necessarily like what the product was. But I don't yeah. think but that was not the result of that was the result of other things. You know, you also have source material here. You have in in the case of Harry Potter, you have very clearly defined source material and a very heavily involved creator being a part of it all. Yeah. Um, whereas, from what I understood, when they were making the first eight films, she was not a hawk. She was, she was a creative collaborator. Talking about J.K. Yes. Rowling? So, and now with these Fantastic Beasts things, she is writing again. She is writing the screenplay for the sequel. I wouldn't be shocked if she writes the screenplay for all five. Okay. So I think like you don't you don't necessarily need a direct like uh, what's a good example? Um take like the Pirates of the Caribbean series. You have a bunch of different writers over the course of five films. You can have a, several different directors and see like well, when they go to like go back to the well again, who's going to try to take a crack at it now? And what's going to be the combination of writer and director and cinematographer and all these things that are going to come together? And, you know, let's see what they come up with this time. I think what they found at Warner Brothers was a really good creative team. And in terms of the dialogue, I, I think David Yates is there to bring out the performance. I think that was that okay. was his strength as a director of the last four films and then the first Fantastic Beasts was he already had somebody who gave him the story. It existed as a book and, you know, in Fantastic Beasts, she gave him the screenplay. Then you have the machine, if you will, that is the production designers in the costume department that's going to work with the collaborator or, or like with, with the author. You know, I'm sure if... J.K. Rowling thought that something was ridiculously out of place in terms of production design, she'd probably pipe up. I don't think she's dictating things. I think she's saying you're going too far this way or that way. Okay. Um, And so that, so David Yates is there to work with the cinematographer and the actors and the editor. Those pieces, I think he's been extremely successful at. And so far, if that team is working for them, I see no reason to change it. Fair enough. 
yeah, I think that's some some good points. Because even even if you bring in other people to just to try to change it up, there's no guarantee that those people will be able to do as well as good of a job as the people you previously had in there that made a bunch of money for the studio. Right. So maybe it's too much. Maybe they're just thinking it's too much of a risk. And if we got something that works, why why fix it? Why try to break it up? I think yeah, I think you're right with that point. Um, I don't know. You got anything else? I think that's it for me. Uh, no, I think people have listened to us far longer than they intended to. <laughs> it's the story of the week every time we do this. <laughs> uh, all right, so I think that's where we'll wrap it up. If you have enjoyed the show, please stop by iTunes. You can leave us a five-star rating and review there. And Be sure to share, subscribe, favorite the show wherever you decide to listen to us. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook. Search for Bry Guy Super Friends or go to www.facebook.com slash Friends. And as I mentioned before, you can email us or tweet at us, comments, questions, topics, suggestions, any of that good stuff. Uh, you can email at superfriends at gmail.com or at bgsuperfriends on Twitter. Both of those will work. And on behalf of Josh and myself, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah.